Let me read you a poem. This was one in my girl's book. had a great illustration, which I can't show you, but maybe it's one you've heard. It's short. Who has seen the wind? Neither I nor you. But when the leaves hang trembling, the wind is passing through. Who has seen the wind? Neither you nor I. But when the trees bow down their heads, the wind is passing by. So says Christina Rossetti. The wind is air in motion, we could say. You know, if you try and quantify this, it gets a little tough. Uh, air and the wind, it's molecules of stuff like oxygen and nitrogen and carbon dioxide and a lot of other stuff. And you can't really get your hands on them, but they're there. And you can feel them. And in Christina's words, you can see the effect of the wind in the leaves on the tree. Or if you see the waves on a lake or the ocean stirred by the wind, you can see its effect. Hard to lay hold of. Hard to quantify, but it's there. You can see its effect and its power. When I was in grade school, we did a science experiment, which we took a large empty ball and we weighed it. And then we pumped it full of air and we weighed it again. And of course it was heavier once it had been filled with air. And it demonstrated that air, though you think of it as kind of nothing, it has weight, it has mass, it has properties, even if it's hard to get a hold of, it's there and it's real. And that heavier ball demonstrated the air. There's something there. You can't see it, can't taste it, but it's there. You know, too, we depend on air at times, and certainly historically we've depended on air. You know, when commerce and transportation around the globe relied on sailing ships, it was the power of the air, the wind, filling the sails of those ships that drove those large ships around the world, chased whales, move pilgrims to this country, etc. It was the power of the unseen wind that was propelling those ships. Or if you go to areas typically unsettled, portions of western Kansas, matter of fact, Sean, I was driving on 435 the other day and I looked in my mirror to see this gargantuan semi-trailer and all it had, its entire load was a foil, a wind foil, I don't know, maybe 80 feet long headed west on I-70. And you guys know if you see parts of I-70, they have wind generators. And Sean has emailed me pictures before. They're, they're monsters on the plane. If you see them from a distance, they look like maybe quaint windmills. They're gigantic. They're tall. They've got, I don't know, maybe three, three foils or wings apiece. But anyway, they're there because those folks know that the power of the prairie wind is constant enough that they'll turn those generators and create electricity. So there's power there, power that drove ships, power that creates electricity today. You know, there's a flip side to that power, too. Uh, 41 years ago, Friday. How many of you were here 41 years ago, Friday? Here, in Topeka. In Topeka, 41 years ago? Okay. Do you remember what happened 41 years ago, Friday? An F5 tornado went through Topeka, Kansas, 41 years ago, Friday, just like Greensburg more recently. Do you know, that's the flip side of the power of the wind or the air. A tornado is just circling air or winds, but you know, its destructive power is incredible, remarkable, hard to get over once you've seen it. So on one hand, you've got the air, the wind. It has this incredibly beneficial power, but also sometimes we might want to shrink from it as well because its power is overwhelming. Last week, we talked about the grace of God and that it was like an ocean that we swim in, that it was all around us, it was before us, it was after us, we begin with it, we finish with it, 
it's characteristic of God's view towards us in all of our life. I didn't want to leave it there, frankly, because uh, while many of you told me it was helpful, I wanted to make some more positive connection between grace and God. And my thinking went something like this. I didn't want us to think that God's grace was somehow some element uh, or that it was a disposition of God disconnected from some more uh, pressing or felt reality. And, And where I want to press this morning is to say among other things, that you and I experience God's grace by the presence of God's Spirit. By the presence of God's Spirit. God's grace, His work in our life, isn't disassociated from us. He's not in heaven smiling down and that's His grace. His grace is directly tied to us by the person of His Spirit. So we're going to be talking about His Holy Spirit this morning. The reason I talk about wind as an introduction to this is because if you look at the words that we translate spirit from in the Old Testament Hebrew, it's ruach. In the Greek New Testament, it's pneuma. We, we translate as spirit, but they mean breath, or they mean air, or they mean wind, or they mean breathed out. So when God talks about God the Holy Spirit, it's in the character of wind or breath. And you'll see this is a constant throughout both Old and New Testaments. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God, it's the wind of God, etc. You know, in the Old Testament, depending on the passages you read, there, there was thought to be some ambiguity as to whether or not the Spirit of God was the Spirit of the Father, for instance, or was an attribute of God, but wasn't God himself. Does that make sense that if I said Mike's breath, Mike's breath is part of Mike, it's something Mike expels, but it's not another person. So in the New Testament, when you read Jesus' comments primarily, you see Jesus makes it clear, if there was any ambiguity or question going in, Jesus makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is not some disembodied element of God, but the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So you read in passages like Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, when you make disciples, you baptize them in the name, which generally means to the person of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is one with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is deity. Or in John 14, 16, When Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples and they've hung out with him for three years physically, they know him, they they touch him, he's been with them, they've been with him, but he's getting ready to leave. He assures them that he's going to send them another counselor or another comforter. And when you read this in the Greek, you understand that it means someone just like him, another person just like him. He's going to perform this heavenly tag team in which Jesus is going to go back to heaven and he's going to tag, the Holy Spirit's it, And the Holy Spirit comes to earth for Christ to be Christ and the Father to us. So he says in John 14, he's going to give us another counselor. He lives with you, and then he will be in you. This person, this Holy Spirit has been with you, will be in you. In John 16, 13, Jesus says, Of the Spirit, the pneuma of God, he will guide you into all the truth. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what's to come. The Spirit will guide you. He speaks. He hears. He tells you. He's personal. 
He has the attributes of a person, just like the Father and just like the Son. And then in Acts 5, verses 3 and 4, if you remember Ananias and Sapphira's wife tried to play a trick on the church and the apostles and the joke ended up being on them. Peter, in speaking to Ananias, says, You have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have not lied to men, but to God. Peter says the Holy Spirit is God. Acts 5. So the Spirit isn't just a force. It's not just the breath of the Father or the Son. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. And it's by the Holy Spirit that we experience God's grace, God's gifts, God's enablings through that third person of the Trinity. You know, too, when you open your Bible or you close your Bible, the Holy Spirit's there at the beginning and the Holy Spirit's there at the end. We said that was true of God's grace in our life. It's also true of the Spirit of God. So in the opening phrases of Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Darkness covered the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving or hovering over the surface of the waters or the deep. You know, elsewhere in Scripture it says the Father created the heavens and the earth. John 1 says the Son created the heavens and the earth, both of which are true. And in the economy of the Trinity, generally you see the Father initiates a course or an action. The Son basically goes to carry it out, and it's the Spirit that's actually accommodating or, or completing that work, if you will. So the Father and the Son have created. In the beginning, God created but then you see it's the third member of the Trinity. It's the Spirit who is there actively hovering over this new creation, who then brings to order, as God says, let there be light. The Holy Spirit is the one creatively bringing the will of the Trinity to pass there in the beginning. In fact, in Hebrew it says the Ruach, the breath of Elohim. The Ruach of Elohim is there over the surface of the water bringing about God's will. When the Bible closes in Revelation 22... It's the pneuma, the spirit, and the bride that say, come, or come, Lord Jesus. After all the revelation has been given, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the bride, in the church of Jesus Christ, are both saying, or we might say the church inspired by the spirit is saying, come, Lord Jesus. And you guys know, I'm sure, though we're focusing on the Holy Spirit specifically because I want to make sure that we tie God's grace to God. It's the Holy Spirit who's bringing these things about. The Holy Spirit is that member of the Trinity who is self-effacing and who hides, if you will. Others have compared the Holy Spirit to a spotlight that's meant not to be seen but to shed light on the Father and the Son. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it is not, in a sense, to isolate the Spirit from the Trinity. And it's not to, maybe, to talk about the Spirit in ways that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be talked about. But the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity that's just like at creation. The Spirit is that member of the Trinity who's actively at work in us and with us to bring about the will of the Father and the Son in a self-effacing way. But that's who we're talking about this morning. If you read the stories of the Old Testament, you know that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, came on judges, prophets, priests, kings to accomplish God's will. And it was the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, routinely, whatever you're reading about in the Scriptures, almost always it's the Holy Spirit who's actively bringing about whatever God is doing on the earth. If you think about your life as a Christian, 
It started with the Holy Spirit. You didn't start Christianity by yourself. You started through the work, through the efficacy, through the agency of the Holy Spirit. In John 3, Jesus is having this late night discussion with Nicodemus, a leader and a teacher of Israel, but he tells Nick this strange thing. He says, Nick, you've got to be born again if you hope to see the kingdom of heaven. And Nick is in a quandary. What does this mean? And Jesus says in verse 7, Don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, the pneuma, blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit, the pneumatus. The wind blows where it wills. The Spirit of God blows where it will. Nicodemus, you can't figure this out, but rebirth, spiritual rebirth is caused because the Holy Spirit is coming through. You guys know we're called to share the gospel with others who don't know yet, who don't know Christ. But you and I are not told to convert anyone. We plant the seed, which is a message, but it's the Holy Spirit who brings about new birth. When you and I are born again, it's because the Holy Spirit is blowing through. The breath of God, the Holy Spirit is blowing through and bringing about that new birth. Our Spiritual life begins because the Holy Spirit is bringing it to pass. In Acts 1, 8, Jesus told the first disciples to wait in Jerusalem. He said, you're going to be my witnesses, but before you can do that for me, you need to receive something you don't have. And you need to receive power that will make you fit, that will give you the ability to do what I need you to do on the earth. I'm going to be gone. You're my folks on earth, but for you to do my will, you can't do it on your own. You've got to wait until you get power. And in Acts 2, that power comes. So that just as you and I individually are born again by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the church was born on Pentecost, Acts 2, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. A little bit more dramatic than most of our spiritual birthdays, I, I assume. In Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, on the day of Pentecost, when they were all in one place, suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. This might have sounded like a tornado to them. A violent rushing wind. It filled the house where they were sitting. Tongues of fire appear above their heads. And it says, verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The birth of the church was accompanied by a violent rushing wind. This was the presence of the Holy Spirit coming in and giving birth to this new entity on the earth, the body of Christ, the church on the earth. It's the Holy Spirit who individually gives you and I the grace gifts we talked about a week ago. You know that every Christian has a spiritual ability to operate in God's kingdom. You have gifts of teaching, leadership, service, mercy, exhortation. The list goes on. There's no complete list in the New Testament. But God gives us what he calls grace gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, Paul says, it's the same spirit that works all these things distributed into each one individually as he wills, as he, the Holy Spirit, wills. The grace gift you have, whatever it is, whatever ability God's given you to serve others with, that's the grace gift you got because the Holy Spirit willed it and gave it. And I don't mean distinctly from the rest of the Trinity, but this was directly the Holy Spirit at work in your life, giving you that spiritual ability. In Galatians 5, 22 through 25, Paul's talking about this ugly affair you and I have. It's going on within us. It's, it's related to the old life we were born with and the new life we have. And he says the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit. You know this 
battle we have as Christians. We want to do right. We don't always do right. We know to do right. But he says in this battle, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, that is, what the Spirit produces by virtue of being inside us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've put off that old thing. If we live by the Spirit, or because we do live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Paul paints this picture that for a Christian you have an old life that's drawn to sin, but you have a new spirit. That new spirit, born again by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God Himself is in you, and He's reproducing God's nature in you, the character of Christ being reproduced in you by the Holy Spirit. And he says, because that's the truth, you live by the Spirit, your new life is in the Spirit, you're to walk by the Spirit. Make it your aim, Paul says, basically. See yourself hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, walking along through life together. Paul says later in Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Spirit. And I take it this means, don't do those things that you know make God unhappy, that are opposed to God's will for your life. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, don't quench the Spirit. I take it in 1 Thessalonians 5, the thought is, don't put out the fire the Holy Spirit's building. That is, God wants to do certain things. In Thessalonians, it's prophetic utterances. Don't despise prophetic utterances. Don't quench the Spirit when God is speaking. Don't stop that. But we could apply it to a host of other things, too. So Paul says in Galatians, you've got the Spirit inside you. He's reproducing Christ's life. Because that's true, walk with Him. See it's your aim in life to walk with the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit by doing things you know He doesn't want you doing. And also don't quench the Spirit by stopping the things or refusing to participate the things that you know the Holy Spirit's calling to. Uh, probably all of us have had the experience where we know God wants us to do something and we stuff it instead and we don't do it and we walk the other way. And that ugly, sick feeling in your stomach afterwards, that's the Holy Spirit saying, I really didn't want you to do that. And he's, he's reminding us, we're, we're to walk with the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit, don't grieve the Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, ushers us into new life. He's about, he's the midwife, if you will, bringing about our new life. He gives us the grace gifts we have to serve Christ through serving others. He reproduces Christ's life and character in us. And he empowers us to live in a way that honors the Father and the Son. That's the Holy Spirit directly at work in your life and mine. You know, sometimes, too, God, the Spirit, keeps you and I from doing certain things. He's guiding our life positively. And negatively, you can read the strange passage in Acts 16, which the Apostle Paul, who all he wants to do is share the gospel where it hasn't been declared before. But you've got this odd passage in Acts 16, verse 6. He says, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to, to speak the word in Asia. After they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Sometimes you and I have what we think are good ideas. Paul had what he thought was a good idea. I'm going to go preach the gospel there in Phrygia or Galatia, or I'm going to go into Bithynia, and, and the Holy Spirit didn't let him. I don't know what that looks like. But Paul knew God saying, don't go there. 
or Paul planned to sail on a ship or whatever. It didn't work out. He understood God doesn't want me there. And then later, of course, Paul has a dream in which he sees a man from Macedonia saying, come over here, and he gets it. God didn't want me over there now. God wants me in Macedonia. Sometimes you and I may make the best of plans, and the Holy Spirit shoots them down. And if he does, we understand that's God revealing his will to us. That's a good thing. He's keeping us from something he doesn't want for us because he's got something else for us to be involved in instead. All of this is to say that the Holy Spirit, like that wind that blows through the trees or blows the ships or powers the windmill, it's the Holy Spirit, it's God himself in the Spirit who's at work in your life and mine to bring about God's will in our, in our life, to transform us to Christ, to work in us, and to work through us. You know, sometimes you have the picture of yourself, you're on earth and God's in heaven, and when, when we say something like, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, we have this appropriate thought of God in heaven and Jesus at his right hand in heaven. But the thought is, they're up there, <laughs> and I'm down here, and there's eternity, so to speak, or there's the space-time continuum, if you will, between us. But the Holy Spirit is God with us. You know, when Jesus w was on the earth and he fulfills Isaiah about, you'll call his name Emmanuel, God is with us. Well, God is still with us today, not physically in the person of Jesus on the earth, but spiritually, God's breath, if you will, in us directly by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the means by which we experience God's grace and enablements. And in fact, in John 15, Jesus said, apart from him, and we could insert apart from his spirit, you and I can do nothing. We're like ships on the sea, if you will, with sails but no power. You and I have no inherent power to live a life that honors God. It's dependent on the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if you were looking at one of those old uh, tall ships, you know, with all the sails? Imagine a ship like that sitting on a still day, and the captain stands on the deck, and he blows into the sail. And he tells his crew, let's blow on the sails. Because there's no wind, so we'll get there, we'll huff and we'll puff, and we'll blow our way through. You know, that ship's going nowhere. Because the power of the breath that they have is nothing. It's insignificant. It's not going to do a thing. It won't ruffle the sail. Until the wind comes up, that ship has no power to go anywhere. Or can you imagine a boy with a kite on a still day? He goes out with the kite, he holds it up, and he lets go, and what happens? It falls to the ground. Now, if he's industrious, he can run. And he can, he can let a little string out and he can run along. And the power of his legs running through the air, he'll get a little bit of lift. But how high will that kite go? Not very high. And how long will it stay up? You know, as long as his little legs will carry him. And then it's coming down again. You know, but give that little fella a little bit of a breeze. Doesn't take much. But even the littlest breeze is almost infinitely more powerful than that little boy or than his legs, or than the breath of the captain on a ship. The, the power you and I have to live the Christian life, the grace of God in our life to honor Christ and live for Him, it's the Holy Spirit. It's nothing less than Him. It's God in us. 
That's the power to live for Christ. It's the power to transform us. And it's the power to act for God. Jesus said in Matthew 10, he was warning his disciples there was going to come a time where they were going to be locked up, put in prison, persecuted. They'd stand before kings and authorities. And he said, hey, don't worry about that because it's not you who speaks. It's the spirit of your father who speaks in you. You'll want to get frantic and think about what you can say. And Jesus says, don't even worry about it. Because when I allow you to be in that situation, my spirit who's with you is going to give you the words to say. Or Paul in Colossians 1.29 says this, I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. You know, if you read Paul's story in Acts or in the epistles, this guy worked long and hard. But when he describes his efforts, he says, I labor. It's not that he's not doing anything. He's not sitting on his duff. He's laboring and he's working, but he says it's a labor according to God's power mightily working within him. When Paul went out and worked, he didn't assume he was getting the work done. He assumed that it was God at work in him accomplishing God's purposes. We went through a small list last week about when you're faced with this. Thank God that His grace has already covered that. Let me go through a short list with you today. When you need to trust yourself to the grace of God for something, but you feel like you can't find God, thank Him that His Spirit's with you. You may have lost God, but God hasn't lost you. He's with you, and His his power to dispense grace to you is right there with you by His Spirit. When you want to pray either about something in your own life or pray for someone else and the words don't come and you don't know how to pray, thank God that the Holy Spirit's in you to pray for you, Romans 8, 26 says, with groanings too deep for words. It doesn't mean that you're verbally praying, but the Spirit within you who knows your heart and knows God's will is praying for you. This is good stuff. One of the most encouraging things anyone can say to me is, I prayed for you. Not I will, but past tense. I prayed for you. The Holy Spirit is with you to pray for you when you don't know what or how to pray. You don't even have to work it up. God the Spirit is in you to pray for you. When you're faced with a crisis or with despair and you don't know how you're going to meet whatever's coming, thank God that God's already provided for that by His grace because His Spirit is there. If you guys want to read some inspiring stories about God's provision by His Spirit, read some of the stories out of Fox's book of Martyrs. Stories of people who face persecution, terrible torture and persecution and death, and who faced it with remarkable calm and with great testimonies because the Spirit of God was giving them the power to do that, to honor Christ through their death, through their sufferings. When you face sufferings in your life that are overwhelming, or they take all your emotional energies and sap them, thank God that the Holy Spirit is in you to give you the resources of Christ and of the Father. You don't have to work those up. You're not supposed to. God, thank you that your Spirit's in me to give me what I need to face this situation. In other words, God's grace isn't, it's not a wave, it's not 
a thought. It's not a pleasant thought God has of you and I in heaven. God's grace is his spirit with us and in us to face whatever life throws at us. Paul calls this presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine, he calls it in Romans 8 to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Paul says in the past, if you don't know Christ, you're subject to another law. It's the law of sin and death. That is the force that's at work in your life. It's sin and it brings death. That's what you and I have apart from Christ. Paul says a Christian, you're now transformed. You're under a new law. You've been set free from the old law of sin and death. You're now under a new law, the law of, the, of life in Christ Jesus. You know, physically, we live subject to what's called the law of gravity. And the law of gravity basically describes the fact that the earth has this attractive power on other bodies so that if something's near the earth or even outside of it, the earth pulls it towards itself. So we call it the law of gravity, but it's power. It just describes power, the power of the earth to draw something towards itself. Paul calls the Holy Spirit's presence in us, bringing this new life of Christ in us, he calls it a new law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We're now subject to a new law. It's not gravity, if you will. It's not the law of sin and death. It's the law of life. I don't know if you guys have been to the zoo lately. They have some golden eagles. I'm told they reproduced not long ago, and they, I think they're setting some of their offspring free in western Kansas. If you see a, a full-grown eagle uh, on the ground, it's kind of funny because they waddle when they walk, and they jump around a little bit, and they're awkward, and they're ungainly. And if you used to visit the zoos years ago, they had a pair of condors, even more so, bigger, uh, comedic, as, as they would walk around on the ground. You know, this waddle back and forth. It didn't take long to figure out that creature was not made to live life on the earth. But you know, you take that eagle and you have him spread his wings out and there's a breeze, what happens? That awkward, ungainly, comedic creature on the ground becomes the king of the air and the lord of the skies. Becomes remarkable, this object of grace and beauty. I think I've mentioned before, but I still vividly remember being on a mountaintop in Montana. And I was as high as I could go. And I saw an eagle much, much higher than I was just soaring aloft on the breezes that flowed over those mountains. And he curled his wings a little bit, and he dove. You know, he crossed in a few seconds distances that would take me hours, literally, to traverse. He covered in seconds, dropping from the sky, spread his wings out again, and start soaring again. An eagle with the power of the wind under its wings is, I think, an apt demonstration or illustration of a Christian and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. On the ground, in our own power, we are comedic, unsightly creatures. And it's because we're not meant to live life on this earth on our own. We are meant to live life empowered by the Holy Spirit, who, like the wind under the wings of an eagle, lifts it up. The power of God's Spirit in our life is supposed to do that same thing for us. It's God's power lifting us up, enabling us to live the life He's called us to, dispensing God's grace in our life.
just like that eagle being lifted up. I think God's calling you and I to be eagles, not clipped wings waddling on the ground, but eagles in the air in flight. He doesn't tell us to work up the power to fly on our own, no, any more than the eagle does. The eagle puts his wings out and the wind does the rest. The wind is the power for the eagle to fly. He's calling us to be sailing ships. There's no power in the ship to get any place. There's no power in the ship inherently to do anything. But God says, you, you're the ship, you unfurl the sails, and I'll provide the power. So when you think about God's grace and favor, and you think about what God wants in your life, God is not far removed in heaven, and you're struggling your way up the mountain on earth. God is with you. Jesus kept his promise. He didn't leave us orphans. He's with us in the power of his spirit. And his spirit is communicating to us the favor and the grace of the Father and the Son. His spirit is empowering us to live life, to transform us inside, and to empower us for the things God calls us to. Who has seen the wind? I haven't seen the Holy Spirit, but I know he's actively at work in my life and yours to transform us into the image of Christ and then to empower us to do the things God wants us to do in this time he's given us on the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I remember those words of Jesus in John 14 that he would not leave his own as orphans. His disciples and we today are not left on our own, but that he would come to us. As a matter of fact, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us, disclose yourself to us, speak words of truth to us, all by your Spirit. Lord, I think that just as we take the air around us and the winds that blow for granted, we take your Spirit for granted as well. Father, I'm convinced, I know for myself, I often grieve your spirit. I often quench your spirit. Lord, help us to honor you. Help us to honor your Holy Spirit by walking with him. By honoring him as this divine, omnipotent guest who has deigned to live in clay jars like us. Father, thanks that you don't command us to do anything that you don't provide the power to do. Thanks that your Spirit is in us today, is in the world today, revealing the Father and the Son and accomplishing all your goodwill. In Jesus' name, amen.